Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark Daly here on what started out to be a very sort of kind of slow news week in, in F1, but with the World Cup up and running and right in the thick of the action in Russia at the moment, it's kind of not really too much of a surprise that things have been a little bit quiet, but it sure has picked up as the week has gone on, and that's part of the reason why I delayed it, and also because I've been out watching the World Cup as well. And just uh, on a side note, can we just put to rest now the the whole question of whether or not Cristiano Ronaldo is the GOAT, the greatest of all time? I, just based on what we've seen over the past week or so at the World Cup, I, I mean, the guy is absolutely amazing. And I'm not even a Real Madrid or a Ronaldo fan, but I guess I, I probably am now after being so impressed watching him over the past week or so. But anyways, we're not here to talk about soccer. We're here to talk about Formula One. And after a couple of weeks break, we are back and in action this weekend at the French Grand Prix, the first French Grand Prix in a decade, which just absolutely amazing me. I can't believe that that uh, the the country where Formula One basically started has been off of the circuit, off the, uh, the, the Formula One cal- calendar for so long. And the last driver to actually win the race, the, the French Grand Prix, was Kimi Raikkonen. Sorry, no, it was Felipe Massa who won in 2008. Kimi Raikkonen won in 2007. Both Ferrari drivers and, well, basically since the beginning of this century, it's been all Ferrari at uh, the French Grand Prix, but it won't be at Manicourt this year. It will be at Paul Ricard. And well, we'll get to that in a little bit later on in the program. Uh, I just mentioned right off of the top here about Kimi Raikkonen being one of the most recent winners of the French Grand Prix and Raikkonen who will be turning 39 later this year, which makes him uh, a grand old gentleman in the sport of uh, Formula One. But in reality, in real life, 39 is not very old of, uh, at all, of course. Uh, has been on a one-year contract extension with Ferrari, seems for like the past <laughs> several years at any rate, but Kimi not really getting it done. It, it seems that if you look some of the other pairings in Formula One, uh, obviously the, the the Mercedes tandem of Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bodas seem to be the most solid uh, pair of drivers being able to, to maximize points. Uh, Red Bull obviously have a very good partnership with uh, Max Verstappen, or a lineup, I should say, partnership uh, would imply uh, more team work between the two of them and that all isn't necessarily always the case but Max not really uh, pulling his weight so we've been over those issues that uh, young Verstappen has been having so far but Raikkonen you would think a a guy that has all the the experience that he has and uh, a world championship uh, under his belt as well would be able to deliver a little bit more and I I think that Sadly, Kimmy is just getting a little bit long in the tooth uh, because the rumor that's been going around this week is that uh, Charles Leclerc, the uh, Sauber driver, and of course he's a Ferrari contracted driver, will be replacing Raikkonen at the Scuderia in uh, 2019, which is a bit of a mind blower when you think about it because Ferrari typically never or well typically never that I shouldn't say typically they never have given a shot to a young driver especially somebody as young as Charles Leclerc which who I believe is 20 years old uh it's uh amazing 
to think that that might be the the, the case. I mean, Kimmy, I, I mean, I'm being a little bit hard on him. He did have a fairly strong start to the year. He had three podiums in the first four races, and he was um, actually a little bit closer to Sebastian Vettel uh, than he has been in the past previous couple of seasons. But he hasn't been on the podium in a couple of races, and I really expected more from Kimmy, especially in Canada a couple of weeks ago. Uh, when you look at uh, the, the way that Sebastian Vettel literally just raced off in the distance around uh, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve, uh, obviously the, the Ferrari was the car that uh, that, that was the, the best one, uh, that was uh, running best uh, around uh, the, the, the track there at the Canadian Grand Prix. And uh, Kimmy just wasn't able to match his teammates' uh, speed. And, you know, honestly, he was a bit of a non-factor in that one. So is it a little bit too early, a little bit too premature to suggest or even speculate that Kimmy might be get re- getting replaced by somebody? Well, I, I know Kevin and I have talked about it off and on over the years. And, uh, well, and this is what, the third season we've been covering Formula One on this podcast. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> go back to uh, 2016, 2017. We've had this conversation several times in, uh, in the past. And I, I would have to say that I'd hate to see Kimmy Räikkönen and leave Formula One. But, you know, got to go sometime. And what Charles Leclerc has done through the first uh, half dozen seven races of the season has been nothing short of absolutely remarkable. I mean, I, I know he's a young guy and seven races doesn't make or break a Formula One career, but what he's done compared to his uh, teammate uh, Marcus Ericsson and the other Sauber is, uh, it, it's night and day. <laughs> Leclerc has really been able to take that car by the scruff of the neck and uh, really do very well with it. Uh, scoring some points, having some very good outings in qualifying. So, uh, I mean, the car is going to take you so far and uh, guys that that have what it takes that uh, that have that natural talent they can just uh, take a, you know get a little bit more out of the car get more out of the car than than other people can so uh, i mean michael schumacher was a guy like that and of course michael has seven world titles to his name i mean it's it's a little bit early obviously to be ca- comparing charles leclerc with uh, the great michael schumacher but you know who knows? Maybe just uh, comparing them on a, on a talent scale or a driving ability scale. Maybe Charles Leclerc is that Schumacher-esque type driver that can just uh, take a car by the scruff of the neck and wring out every ounce of performance that uh, that he needs from it. All right. Well, I'm going to be kind of jumping around from uh, different uh, news items here and there. And there, there are lots of news items where I've been uh, sitting down and making my notes over the past couple of days. I've kind of been thinking, well, this is pretty important and that, that's a big deal too. But, you know, I can't really forget about this. But when I think about it, it's just how do I prioritize all of this? <laughs> you know, unless I do this each and every day of the week, maybe a 10 or 15 minute podcast, maybe then I'd be able to talk about the big news of the day. But sometimes it doesn't work out that uh, that way. Sometimes there isn't very much uh, news, especially when you get between uh, Grand Prix weekends, especially when you're sort of like midway between one race and the next, news can be a little bit uh, thin. But I'm going to dial it back. If you will excuse me, I'm going to go all the way back to last week because I really think we should talk a little bit uh, about Fernando Alonso and uh, winning or being part of the team that won Le Mans 24 hour race last week. Uh, of course, uh, Fernando is. Uh, been quite open saying that he wants to win motorsports triple crown which is the the monaco grand prix which he's won twice the indianapolis 500 and la Le Mans. well fernando <laughs> he's got two out of the three uh victories that he needs in that one and only needs to to win indy 500 to become only the second driver in the history of motorsport to win the triple crown and the only other guy that's ever pulled it off is uh graham hill yes that's right damon hill himself a, a formula one uh, world champion and uh, pundit on uh, Sky Sports Formula One coverage. That was his dad, of course. And it just, uh, it's its incredible when you think how many guys that have uh, had a crack of it and how many guys that have won two out of the three, but just haven't been able to get to the, the third one. I believe Jacques Villeneuve has won both uh, Monaco and Indianapolis, but uh, never uh, won Le Mans. I, I think uh, uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, a uh, guy that races in IndyCar as well, or sorry, in NASCAR. I'm actually, where is uh, Montoya? I've kind of lost track of him a little bit. <laughs> of course, raced in Formula One and uh, won the Indy 500 as well. So, uh, yeah, 
Fernando Alonso, very impressive. But the thing that makes it more impressive is just how far behind the number eight Toyota was at one point in the race. I believe that they were two minutes or so more or less behind the sister car, the number seven Toyota. And it really uh, came, uh, the, the real big chunk of that happened when, uh, when when Alonso's teammate, Sebastian Buemi, who was also a former Formula One driver, was handed a 60-second stop-go penalty for speeding in one of these yellow zones, which is kind of a cool thing. And uh, maybe we can talk about this one day, but a yellow zone at uh, Le Mans in the endurance racing is like a virtual safety car, but it wasn't for the entire track. Of course, Circuit de la Sartre is fairly long, uh, probably a lot longer than uh, a lot of uh, Formula One tracks, maybe than uh, other than Spa. I think that uh, that uh, Fernando at uh, at his peak was lapping in about uh, three minute twenties, low three minute twenties. I think maybe even got down to about three minute nineteen seconds for a lap. So yeah, pretty long circuit. But I like that idea. Uh, I, I like the idea of the concept of a virtual safety car in Formula One. And I like the idea of these yellow zones where you only have a virtual safety car over a, a portion of the the, 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 the the track. But we'll talk about that another time. But just absolutely incredible. I mean, Sebastian Buemi, he got that 60-second stop-go penalty. And it's even more costly when you think about how long uh, or slow the drive in and out of the pits at Le Mans is. So they were really, really, really in a big hole. But uh, when Alonso was out there, he was, uh, yeah, he was over two minutes behind the sister car and his pace was just absolutely lightning quick. Uh, later on in the race, the number seven car uh, had uh, a whole bunch of uh, penalties and uh, also had uh, a bunch of problems. So they finished in uh, quite a, a comfortable uh, uh you know, gap out front. But the thing was, when when Alonso was out there in the middle of the night, I think he started his final stint or that night stint at about one uh, thirty in the morning. And uh, he was lapping anywhere between three and five seconds quicker per lap than the other Toyota. Absolutely amazing. And it's a great accomplishment. Uh, I didn't really follow up on it uh, too much, but I, I do believe that uh, Alonso said that uh, his uh, victory or the, the team's victory at the Le Mans this past weekend was the, the most historic and the best one ever in the history of the sports, or, or maybe not in the sport, but at least at Le Mans itself, maybe not in uh, endurance racing. And sure, I mean, if you can pull that off, you've got the right to brag how that really fits into uh, a place that has the the history of Le Mans. Well, maybe those of you that follow endurance racing closer than I do are better in a better position to make that judgment call, but certainly it has to rate up there. And when you think now that uh, Alonso's won Le Mans, he's won Monaco twice, as I've said, that you have to think that he's going to have another crack at the Indy 500. And, uh, of course, uh, Fernando did come out and say uh, after Le Mans that he is giving Indianapolis the highest priority for next year. And I really kind of wonder if um, Fernando's going to be back in Formula One. I've been uh, putting that out there for the past little while. A lot of the things that he's been saying, a lot of the bo- body language, a lot of, if you want to call it that, just reading between the lines really makes me wonder if this is Fernando's swan song in, in Formula One. Of course, his legacy in Formula One, it's it's complicated. Let's, let's be honest. I mean, here's a guy that broke into the sport. He was fairly young. I mean, he, he, he started with Minardi of all teams. I mean, I remember seeing uh, him race at the European Grand Prix at Nürburgring back in 2001, I'm guessing. I think that was his first year. And he was just a, a this young, fresh-faced kid. And <laughs> I mean, he didn't really impress too much at that time. I mean, he was like the, the, the newcomer on the block. Of course, he really got on uh, people's radars uh, <laughs> pretty quickly. And of course, won two world titles with uh, Renault. I was going to say Benetton, but you know, <laughs> six of one, half dozen of the other. Almost the same thing, right? or not. Anyways, and then of course, after the he left uh, Renault, he went to McLaren, went to Ferrari, back to McLaren, and it, it's complicated. And I think uh, when you look at Fernando now in his, uh, in his career, obviously it's winding down in Formula One. If things had gone properly, don't you get that feeling that he might have been one of those guys that could have been maybe chasing some of the records in, in Formula One or setting more of them? than he did. I mean, I really think that uh, that two world championships in Formula One is a lot less or maybe not really what we could have really seen. I really feel like if he had made some better decisions, if he hadn't uh, been involved in some of this 
fighting and politics and all these situations. I mean, obviously, when he was partnered with uh, with Lewis Hamilton and McLaren, that didn't really go very bueno. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest about it. And uh, of course, who can resist the lure of uh, Ferrari? I mean, Ferrari has still not really gotten back to where they were at the turn of the century when they were absolutely dominant when they, well, they had a dream team. I mean, honestly, they did. They had Jean Todt as team principal, Ross Braun designing the cars and in charge of all that. You had Michael Schumacher <laughs> driving it. It's no wonder they won, what was it, five constructors championships and Michael won, what, five uh, drivers championships when he was uh, at Ferrari and seven in total. Yeah, he won two with Benetton. So, yeah, I mean, five at Ferrari, absolutely amazing. And I think they're chasing that. They've been chasing that ever since. And if you're a guy like Fernando Alonso, when you're at that peak in your career and it hadn't really worked out McLaren and Ferrari come knocking... Who could say, who could resist? <laughs> I mean, there is a magical lure almost uh, of, of uh, racing those scarlet Ferraris and and being the guy that uh, can lead them back to glory. I mean, will we ever see another another dynasty like we did during the Schumacher era? Well, <laughs> who knows? But uh, obviously, that didn't work out with uh, with with them, and he ended up going back to McLaren to go back, or, or when they were rejoined with Honda in 2015. Of course, that didn't really turn out very well, and they've sort of languished. And now this year, they have uh, the, the 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 Renault engines, and honestly, they're not much better. So Fernando, obviously, you can see why he's decided to go and chase the Triple Crown. And you can see why he would be really motivated to, to go and uh, go back to India as soon as possible. He's uh, signed up for the super season in world endurance cars with uh, Toyota. So he'll be doing a, a couple of the other races he'll be doing, or several others, including Six Hours or Silverstone, all the Formula One, some more endurance stuff. And then he'll be racing again at Le Mans this time next year in 2019. So it's going to be pretty, going to be pretty, pretty busy for them. And obviously uh, McLaren is uh, still talking about or or researching the possibility of uh, fielding a team in IndyCar next year, whether or not uh, Fernando would go and race for them or for someone else. I mean, he he went there with what, uh, Andretti Motorsports uh, last year at Indy. I mean, he he did a, a great job then. So, I mean, he's got the skill to do it. And if he's, uh, if he's there next year at Indy, if he's at the Brickyard, and I've got the choice to watch that live or watch uh, Monaco. Of course, they're not going to be on at the same time. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I would pick to watch Indy to, to see if Fernando could pull it off. Last year, it didn't quite work out. But uh, you can tell that with the age that he's at and the uh, the options that he has, he'll have several goes at it, I'm sure, to, to, to wrap that one up and try and get uh, the, the triple crown for himself. Anyways, moving right along, there's plenty more news, and we'll get to that after this quick break. All right, well, moving along to the next item of news, and this is another big one. I hinted at it sort of, kind of, but not really in the previous segment. And the long, sort of protracted, drawn-out drama, if you want to call it that, of the, the Red Bull engine decision. Don't you think we're kind of... Is it just me, or is we're kind of likening it to LeBron and uh, that decision that he made when he went to Miami all those years ago? Is that on the same scale? No, probably not. I think LeBron's uh, decision to go to the Miami Heat several years ago was probably bigger, probably more dramatic. But still, in Formula One terms, uh, it is a it is a big deal when you look at the the partnership that uh, Renault and Red Bull had for over a decade, about twelve years. They Obviously, won several world championships, several constructors championships, 57 Grand Prix. Just absolutely amazing. But uh, Red Bull announced earlier this week that they have indeed decided to take on Honda Engines and partner up with them for 2019 and 2020. Of course, 2021 is still all up in the air. What with the new uh, regulations and the new rules and everything still up in the air and being uh, decided upon. And I hope we get an update soon on what uh, what Formula One and the FIA is proposing for 2021. But at least uh, we know for the next two years that Red Bull will have Honda power. And uh, I think that's uh, really, really, I don't know. Do do you think it's a a surprise move? I kind of think that uh, I, 
you could say you saw this one coming. I think that if they were eager to re-up with Renault, which has been a bit of a strained relationship, at least in this hybrid turbo era, ever since 2014, they've been the third best engine behind uh, Mercedes and uh, and Ferrari, and they just haven't been good enough. I mean, they've still won, I believe, uh, 10 Grand Prix in that time, which is you know, nothing to turn your nose up against, but for a team that was the best team in Formula One for quite a while, and of course, uh, Formula One is cyclical, it has been obviously a very bitter pill for them to swallow, but having that that unprecedented, I think, uh, opportunity to be able to evaluate Renault power in their own cars and Honda power in the back of the Toro Rosos, which is their junior team, their sister team, really gave them the opportunity to uh, to really compare the data between the two engines one-on-one and uh, really decide uh, which is going to make a, make a big difference. And what a difference a year makes. This time last year, there was... To just a whole debacle of the uh, the McLaren Honda partnership. I mean, McLaren were using every single opportunity to throw shade at Honda and just how much of a, a terrible job they were doing, how underpowered their engines were, and of course, last year they were. But McLaren kept on going on and saying that how wonderful their car was, and they had one of the best chassis in t- in the entire Formula One series. All these sorts of things, and then this year they've got Honda or Renault power, and they're not really doing uh, that much better. Toro Rosso is more than a match for them. And the thing is with the with the Renault engine, they're not even really anywhere close to the Renault Works team, which is still on that uh, uh, mid-term or mid-range project, if you want to call it that, rebuilding the team into a title contender, which I think they want to, they set a deadline or a goal, I think is probably more accurate of about 2020 to get back to the top of uh, Formula One. I mean, they have improved each and every year since they bought out Lotus at the end of 2014, I guess it was, and then uh, have decided to then rebadged it and started running their own works team. They, they have improved each and every year. I mean, the first year was obviously just a rebranded Renault, or sorry, uh, Lotus. Last year was their first uh, go at having a, a works car in more than a decade, of course. And this year, obviously, they're a very solid middle of the pack kind of team. So they're got uh, they're well on their way to getting back to where they want to be. But just uh, very interesting, though, that uh, despite all of that, and uh, despite that uh, Renault and their engines are getting better each and every year, that that uh, that Red Bull decided that they just weren't good enough. And I don't know. Did, do you think that this taints? the legacy that Red Bull and uh, Renault have and what they've accomplished in Formula One? I don't think so. I mean, obviously, you can make the arguments that just the lack of success and how much they tailed off. I mean, Mercedes is a hard one to measure up against because they were ultra prepared for the hybrid turbo era. Uh, When you think about it, all the, the time, the money, the preparation that they put into it, they were miles ahead of everybody. And when they came onto the scene in 2014 and the way they just immediately dominated was absolutely incredible. And I mean, they have been the team to beat over the past several years and not very many people have been able to do it. Of course, it's mainly been Ferrari, occasionally Red Bull, and nobody's really been able to get anywhere near Mercedes. So you can see that uh, Renault or sorry, I mean uh, Red Bull is uh, trying to get back where they belong, and uh, Honda they've they've got a they've got a big task in front of them. Obviously, we know that things didn't turn out very well with Honda, or sorry, with uh, with McLaren. But uh, Honda has said that for 2019, their goal is to keep Red Bull in the position that they're in at the very least. So, where Red Bull is right now, third in the constructors' championships, they've won a couple of races this year. They've been a contender, and I think they've been a pleasant surprise this year. Honestly, they they really have. Um, obviously, uh, Ricardo's run, won a couple of races, and uh, poor old Verstappen, if he could uh, get his head straight and focused and and do what Max does best without driving up the side of somebody or putting his car off of the track i think that uh the where they're sitting at right now in the constructors championship is a little bit i wouldn't say it's sort of a false indicator but it doesn't really i think indicate what the true potential of the team is or what they could have done or what they could be doing if uh if both of their drivers had uh, been delivering so yeah, Honda's got to put up big, big shoes to fill, and they really got to get that uh, done for for next year. And this is also sort of uh, very uh, interesting. But um, Renault, uh, but Aston Martin, 
I should say. Aston Martin, who is the title sponsor of uh, Red Bull Racing, has said that there, there's no name clash with Honda and the, the, the switch that uh, Red Bull have made to their engines because you usually don't see two competing car manufacturers on the same car. Of course, uh, they haven't had that issue over the past couple of years because uh, the, the the deal that Red Bull had with Renault was that uh, they're able to rebrand and rebadge the engine. So they're, in fact, a tag Hoyer, who, of course, make watches rather than, than Renault Power. So you didn't have Aston Martin and Renault logos both on the on the same side of the car. But when you think about it, I don't think that Aston Martin really minds too much because... The people that buy in Hondas aren't really the same kind of people, aren't really in the same tax bracket, earnings bracket, whatever you want to call it, as the people that are going out and buying Aston Martins. So I think that having both badges on the side of the Red Bull for next year, I think I think it's going to work out just fine. And in other news, I can afford a Honda, but the Aston Martin, yeah, still working on that one. I'll keep you up to date, but uh, spoiler alert, it's not going to happen <laughs> anytime soon. Uh, just another interesting little bit, but um, Renault have uh, had a couple of interesting things here and there to say over the uh, over the past week. Cyril Atubul, the, uh, the, the boss of Renault, said that they want to make uh, Red Bull regret the decision that they've made, and fair enough. That's uh, his prerogative and his right to, to say that, of course. Uh, I don't think that uh, if we... Any one of us was in a similar position, uh, you would uh, say anything otherwise. Uh, uh, whether or not they can pull it off, that'll be uh, remain to be seen. But uh, it's interesting, too. Uh, Atribul also said that he believes that it was fuel development that, that was putting Red Bull behind because uh, they are not uh, using... Um, <clears throat> The same fuel and uh, uh, lubricants that uh, Renault and McLaren, who use uh, BP and Castrol fuel, and Red Bull has a deal with Exxon and Mobil. So uh, he believes that they're not really getting the full p- uh, the, the full p- potential out of the car that they, they could be if they're using the same fuel and lubricants as the Renault Works team. So moving along uh, to other Renault Last week it was all Renault, or Red Bull. This week it's all Renault, but it all starts with R's. Red Bull, Renault, Ricardo. So I'm trying to get there eventually if I don't keep uh, tripping up over myself. <laughs> but now I do actually want to talk about Danny Ricardo. I do want to talk about Renault. I do want to talk about uh, Red Bull because, of course, Ricardo, who is honestly out there th- trying to market himself for 2019, uh, he uh, he's out of contract at Red Bull at the end of the year. Of course, uh, when you're a guy like Danny Ricardo who's proven he can win races in Formula One and not actually be on the front row of the grid that uh, the, the, the teams, the names that you're going to be linked with are going to be the obvious ones, and those would be Ferrari, and the other team, of course, would be Mercedes, both of whom have drivers that uh, are out of contract for next year. The only guy that has a contract for 2019 and beyond at either of those teams is uh, Sebastian Vettel. Uh, Valtteri Bottas only has a, he's on an option year at, uh, at Mercedes. Lewis Hamilton is in his final year at uh, Mercedes, and of course, you have to think that that deal is going to get done sooner rather than later, or maybe later rather than sooner. I mean, they, they've uh, said that they are working on a deal. Lewis has said that there's no rush to get anything anything done. Total Wolf, the team principal at Mercedes, has basically said the same thing. Uh, Valtteri Bottas, why wouldn't you bring him back for Mercedes for 2019? And Kimi Raikkonen at Ferrari, we've already talked about that. So potentially, maybe... Botas doesn't get uh, re-signed for uh, for Mercedes. Obviously, Raikkonen, all signs are pointing to him not coming back. But could you see uh, a really, really expensive pairing like Danny Ricardo? That's a guy that's uh, fairly young, still coming into the prime of his career, and four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel. That's a lot of money tied up into a couple of drivers. But still, if there's a team that has deep enough pockets to actually do that, it would be Ferrari. Uh, whether or not they want to go down that route, well, you know, <laughs> that's a completely different question. But Ricardo, he's saying all the right things. He does. He had said that there is, quote unquote, some appeal, uh, potentially moving to a team like a, a McLaren or a Renault. And uh, that's uh, kind of been floating out around there. I believe it was in the German media uh, earlier this week that suggesting or suggesting that he could uh, possibly go to uh, McLaren for next year. Or at least uh, there's a, a rumor out there that they would at least like to try and sign him. I mean, I could see Ricardo probably maybe sort of move to a team like Renault 
over a team like McLaren. McLaren, uh, I don't know what's going on there. We'll we'll get to that in a, in a couple of minutes, but there there's no easy fix there. Let, let's be honest about it. Uh, they they haven't really lived up to their what they've been saying. I mean, they've been saying all the right things over the past couple of years, but they're still just not getting the performances that they they need on the track. They're not getting the results that the, that they really need. Although they are doing better this year, obviously. I mean, they are scoring more points than they have in the in, in the past couple of years. But I think that for for fans of uh, Fernando Alonso, for fans of Stoffel van Doren, for fans of McLaren, that uh, it's just a, a little bit too much of a stretch uh, to see them challenging for podiums and race wins which of course is where they want to be right about now so they still have a a lot of work to do but I I couldn't see a guy like Danny Ricardo going to to McLaren at this point in time that would be to me too much of a regression in his career whereas to me where where McLaren is kind of almost stagnated and uh, stayed uh, become stuck if you want to put it that Renault is very much a team moving in the opposite uh, direction. They are moving up uh, through the pack each and every year. Uh, they have the, the the will to become a champion again, to be a contender again in Formula One. They have the means, the financial means to do it. So I could see a guy like Danny Ricardo going there. And while I think that it was a good move for them to bring Nico Hulkenberg in uh, to become, uh, you know, basically their number one guy for the past couple of years was a good move at the time. I don't know if he's going to be the guy that's really going to take the team forward. I think in the interim, I think that uh, he's a, a good solid choice to do, you know, to to be that number one guy, but I don't think he's a, a game changer like Daniel Ricardo. Whether or not Ricardo would want to maybe take that 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 risky kind of move and go to uh, Renault when there are other uh, potential options in front of him, you'd have to think that uh, Red Bull itself would still have to be the front runner to re-sign him and keep that partnership with uh, himself and uh, Max Verstappen going for another couple of years. And of course, like we're saying, the lure of Ferrari, that might be too uh, tough for Daniel Ricciardo to, uh, to to resist should they come knocking. And the same thing uh, with Mercedes. <laughs> I mean, Ferrari is probably the second best uh, option to, to really take over and uh, become their... I think they have the potential, let's put it that way, to become uh, the, the, the next champion if anybody's going to snatch that title away from uh, Mercedes. And of course, Mercedes themselves. I mean, they've proven over the past several years what an awesome team they are, what an awesome car that they have what an awesome engine they have and i think that if you were a driver in formula one if that opportunity came up i think that uh, you would get your name signed on the bottom of that deal as fast as you possibly could anyways before we take another quick break here in a couple of minutes uh, just a further news about Mercedes. Uh, they have delayed the deployment of their new specification engine. It could be delayed even uh, further. They were, there's no confirmation as yet whether or not it'll be used at the, the French Grand Prix. It was going to be run in Canada a couple of years, a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> pardon me, uh, but that was delayed after last minute reliability problems. So it uh, could be a scenario where they have... Uh, old engines on Friday and then Saturday they switch to the new spec and then if not they may deploy fresh examples of the old spec engine on Saturday and then which in theory they'd have to do seven race weekends so very much uh, up in the air what's uh, going to happen with Mercedes this weekend at Circuit Paul Ricard. Anyways more news on that and other news including Martin Whitmarsh dissing his former team, and McLaren not too happy about that. We'll talk about that and more after this short break. Okay, and as I mentioned before the break, uh, Martin Whitmarsh, the former McLaren boss, is back in the news after he suggested last weekend in uh, the Mail on Sunday that he believes that McLaren needs to axe which is a, a pretty blunt and uh, a term that doesn't leave much interpretation left into it. 
they need to axe a bunch of senior personnel to revive its uh, fortunes. McLaren, the, the team, dismissed his criticism, saying it was ill-judged and ill-informed after he made those comments. And uh, Whitmarsh, of course, he worked for the team for 15 years before he was ousted. And uh, he said that the team na- needs a big change of approach. And, well... <laughs> we, we could we could talk about McLaren for ages and ages and ages. I mean, we could do a whole show on the problems that this historic and uh, once powerhouse of a team has had in, in Formula One, but they haven't even had a podium now in almost four years. Uh, and that was uh, at the Australian Grand Prix. And that was just before uh, Martin Whitmarsh actually parted uh, company with the team, but he'd already been uh, removed as a principal at that point, and he even went on to say that he feels desperately sad about uh, the situation that uh, that McLaren finds himself in at the moment, and he said that uh, he wouldn't turn them away if they ever came back and asked him for support. But last year, or last week, we were talking about uh, Lando Norris, and apparently uh, Zach Brown has uh, said that uh, that he has been approached by three teams other than, uh, or including Toro Rosso, which was the team that made the news last week in uh, approaching them about uh, signing the the current GP2 champion or leader, points leader, uh, Lando Norris. And uh, Zach Brown put the, uh, the kibosh on that, so he's not going to Toro Rosso. And I wonder who the other two teams are. And I, I've got my suspicions. I have the feeling that uh, perhaps the two other uh, teams that were looking to secure Lando Norris's services uh, for the rest of this year and perhaps maybe next year and beyond... Why not Haas? Why not Williams? Uh, Williams, of course, they their car, the, the FW41, is a total dog. It's a total lemon, and they have not had any results uh, of note uh, this year. Uh, they've just been absolutely horrible. Uh, Lance Stroll didn't finish the uh, the Canadian Grand Prix a couple of weeks ago, but that, of course, was more due to, uh, well completely due to the fact that he crashed into Brendan Hartley, that uh, coming together with Hartley on the opening lap at Circuit Gilles Villeneuve. But Sergei Sorotkin, his teammate, first-year Formula One guy, uh, he finished two laps down, so obviously not very good. And Stroll hasn't really had uh, the opportunity to to do much better. So I think that that makes sense for a team that's uh, looking for another driver. I think that uh, that uh, that Williams would be one of them. The other one, I think, uh, obviously, or at least obvious to me, would be Haas. Uh, Roman Grosjean has had all sorts of problems uh, this year. He's crashed a couple times on his own accord, and he's had so much uh, bad luck. And uh, I think that uh, perhaps maybe uh, an injection of some new blood in a team like Haas uh, would be a, a good thing. Obviously, Roma has had his crash at the team there for a couple of years and it just uh, really isn't working out at the moment but you know changing a guy in the middle of a, a season is a very big and, and risky thing and whether or not they want to do that well who knows but Williams and Haas that would be my guess as to uh, one of those teams that uh, could be perhaps chasing Lando Norris's services and I'm going to jump around a little bit again, uh, like I was saying at the top of the show. I just wanted th- this made me laugh when <laughs> when I uh, read this earlier this year. I'm going to go back and talk a little bit about uh, Ferrari again here. And uh, this was uh, on uh, Motorsport.com, and the headline on that article reads: Montezemolo. Marchioni jealous of Ferrari's past glories. And uh, of course, uh, Luca Di Montezemolo is the ex-Ferrari president, and he says that he is, quote, sad. His successor, Sergio Marchioni, is very jealous of the Italian Formula One team's former glories. And uh, Di Montezemolo spent 23 years as the Ferrari uh, president, and that came to an end all that not all that long ago in 2014. And uh, that was a, a result of tensions that uh, really couldn't last uh, very long or much longer between himself and uh, Sergio Marchioni, who is uh, still the boss of uh, Fiat Chrysler, which is the parent uh, company of uh, uh, Ferrari. And last week, uh, Di Montezemolo said at uh, the new launch of uh, the Michael Schumacher exhibition in Germany, he said that, I'm sad to see that Marchioni is very jealous of the past. This is bad because to be jealous of the past, it means that you have something strange in the mind. So that was uh, one quote that made me chuckle a little bit, although I'm sure once uh, Marchioni himself heard that, I'm 
I don't think he was laughing about that. But talking about Ferrari themselves, I thought this was an also a very interesting uh, claim. And uh, this was made by uh, Sebastian Vettel, who thinks that uh, that there is uh, a way that uh, that Formula One drivers can game the system and actually make a game gain, not a game, a gain under virtual safety cars. And this has actually been backed up by FIA race director Charlie Whiting. And he says that's actually true that uh, drivers can save time by using clever lines while they're uh, behind a virtual safety car or while the virtual safety car is engaged. And he said that the potential gains are, in fact, very, very small. But the FIA will, in fact, act to close that uh, loophole. And uh, Vettel made these comments after the Spanish Grand Prix several weeks ago, saying it was possible for the drivers to beat the system by driving lines that cut distance that they wouldn't normally use under normal racing conditions. So uh, Whiting actually agrees with that, and he said that they've uh, gone and, and crunched the numbers They've mathed the racing, if you want to call it that, and said that the potential gains are 150 milliseconds per lap. Okay. <laughs> he says, uh, but in Formula One, 151 or 150 milliseconds per lap is worth having, but that's the extent of it. As far as it was explained to me by our software people, we can rectify it and make it a bit more bulletproof. And another thing that may have to become a little bit more bulletproof, and this is something else that Charlie Whiting was talking about, was introducing an automated checkered flag system. And this comes in the wake of uh, the Canadian Grand Prix when uh, supermodel uh, Winnie Harlow waved the flag a couple of laps too early. And uh, that was due to the fact that well, it wasn't her fault. She didn't decide to wave the flag early. She was instructed by one of the, the track officials at Circuit Gilles Villeneuve that, uh, that the race was over and she should race the, 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 or wave the checkered flag. And, uh, well, Sebastian Vettel wasn't too impressed. And in Montreal, you have to be careful because that is a, a track that's always packed. There's thousands and thousands of fans that swarm the track after the race to, uh, to go and watch the podium ceremony. So you can understand there was a, a very serious and a very legitimate safety concern there. What with people perhaps thinking that uh, this would be uh, the time that they got to get out of their seats and run across the track. But in fact, you know, there's still cars out there doing 200 miles an hour and they were going to be doing 200 miles an hour for a couple more laps. Anyways, it's not the first time that something like this has happened. Uh, it previous happened several years ago at the Chinese Grand Prix. When, or sorry, at the uh, at the the Brazilian Grand Prix, I think it was was China Brazil. One of those two races. Anyways, he actually waved the the flag a little bit too late because he hadn't realized that the leader, I can't remember who won that year, uh, crossed the finish line and he'd been caught a little bit off guard. So Whiting has said that he will now consider having the official race end shown on the light boards above the start finish line which would override any issues with the checkered flag which is kind of sad in a way but i guess for safety and just to, just to make it official that's probably the way to go although the the checkered flag itself i think would maybe maybe it's just become too symbolic at uh, at this point in time but definitely you don't want uh, anything happening like i say with uh, the potential for people to run out on the track and uh, and people getting hurt Anyways, a, a little bit of uh, happy news now for fans of uh, Formula One's more iconic uh, circuits that the, the Belgian Grand Prix has signed a new three-year deal with uh, with uh, Formula One to keep the race at uh, the legendary Spa circuit at least until 2021. So th that's that's great news. They first hosted uh, its first F1 race back in 1950, which was the first year of the Formula One World Championship. Uh, that deal, or their current deal, was set to expire this year. And I think it's a good indication that uh, that Liberty Media, the current owners, the new owners of Formula One, I guess we can stop calling them the new owners of Formula One. They've been in charge now for, what, year and a half? Anyways, uh, they, they did say, and Chase Carey, the, uh, the, the chairman, uh, the big man over there at Liberty Media said that although they're they they are keen to uh, find new uh, places to go and race. Obviously, the the new race in Miami, which uh, looks uh, to be going next year, maybe the year after at the very latest, is one. They're still talking about possibly a Vietnamese Grand Prix in Hanoi. Uh, they said, while that those new markets are important, that uh, they realize that the the roots, uh, the, the the place where Formula One was born, of course, was in Europe. So it's uh, equally as important to them to make sure that these uh, these 
tracks, these races like the German Grand Prix, the, uh, the, the Belgian Grand Prix, hopefully the British Grand Prix still remain uh, intact and part of the circuit, the part of the series for, for years and years to, to come. So good news to see that, uh, that Spa will be back on the Formula One schedule for next year. All right. Well, it's time to start wrapping it up a, a little bit now. I wanted to, to just look a little bit uh, quickly now at the the French Grand Prix. Uh, well, like I said earlier in the show, first front, uh, French Grand Prix since uh, the last one that was run at Manicourt in 2008. Uh, Felipe Massa won that one while driving for Ferrari. And it's been a very, very long time. So, like I say, that year it was a Ferrari 1-2, Massa first, Kimi Raikkonen second, Jarno Trulli third in the Toyota, Heike Kovalainen in McLaren for fourth, fifth was Robert Kubica in the BMW Sauber, and rounding out the top 10, then was Mark Reber in the Red Bull, Nelson Piquet Jr. and Fernando Alonso in the Renaults, David Coulthard in the Red Bull, and Lewis Hamilton rounding out the top 10 in the McLaren Mercedes. So this is actually the first French Grand Prix that we've seen at Manny, or sorry, at uh, Paul Ricard since 1990. The, the last time that, uh, that the French Grand Prix was held there, it was won by Alain Prost, and that's going back quite a ways. So that, that day, uh, Alain Prost won the race uh, there, 80 laps, uh, he uh, beat Eve, uh, Ivan Capelli in the Leighton House Judd, which was a, a shocker at the time, considering that he finished ahead of uh, Ayrton Senna, who was third in the McLaren, Nelson Piquet, Gerhard Berger, and Ricardo Patrese in the, the Williams Renault. Absolutely amazing to see some of those names there. And I mean, there's a lot of classic, classic names there, but... Uh, this has been Ferrari's event in all the uh, the years that uh, they've had a uh, a French Grand Prix. Ferrari have won the French Grand Prix seventeen times, and well, that's nine more times than the the team that's won it the second most time, and that would be Williams and. I'd say it's pretty much a safe bet to say that they're not going to win <laughs> this year, considering how horrible the car that they have. But there's nobody in the current uh, uh, class of drivers, if you want to call it that, that uh, that have uh, that won it more than than once. <laughs> the 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 one guy that's won it the most, and uh, this should not be any surprise, is Michael Schumacher, who won the French Grand Prix eight times. Alain Prost won it himself six times. So great stuff to see. And uh, this year, like I say, it is going to be at Circuit Paul Ricard, which is just outside of uh, Marseille. It is a 5.842 length uh, kilometer circuit. It's a total race distance of 309.6 kilometers. Uh, it looks to be a very tight and compact, very narrow circuit. And it's got a very long uh, straightaway of 1.8 kilometers long with a chicane now about two-thirds of the way uh, along. It's a very grippy uh, track with uh, with a fair amount of, uh, of, of tire wear on it. Uh, middle is sort of of the pack, if you want to call it that, for downforce. So the tires that we're going to see this uh, this time, because there's more abrasion, uh, are the soft, super soft, and ultra soft tires. And it's kind of interesting to look at the the tire choices that uh, the most of the teams that have made. Uh, not the, the 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 real choice are the ultra softs for this uh, for this weekend. Uh, most of the teams have opted to, to load up on as many uh, sets of the ultra softs as they could. Uh, Lewis Hamilton has uh, chosen two pairs of soft, three pairs of super softs, and a whole bunch of ultra softs compared to his uh, teammate Valtteri Bottas, chosen one set of softs, four sets of super softs, and again, a whole lot <laughs> of ultra soft tires. So who's to really say what uh, what this one is going to turn out like we don't uh, really know we we have no benchmark to really uh, to look at to see who might uh, do well and uh, who might uh, might win this race but i think it's been interesting of course we've seen this year that all three of the top teams have won different races at different times so is this going to be a track that is more suited to uh, to ferrari is it going to be more suited to mercedes is it going to be more suited to red bull that's a very good question. The one big question that I have in my mind is whether or not the fact that Ferrari, or sorry, not Ferrari, that uh, Mercedes has had to delay the introduction of their latest specification engine. Uh, maybe it'll come this weekend. Maybe it won't. We really don't know. 
But uh, that just makes me wonder if that will put them at a, a disadvantage to a certain degree at the French Grand Prix compared to Red Bull and uh, and Ferrari. But Ferrari definitely has uh, looked strong the past couple of races. Uh, they looked uh, pretty good in uh, in Monaco, or at least uh, Vettel did, even though he wasn't able to really make a serious challenge uh, to uh, to to. Uh, past Danny Ricardo to uh, to win that race but well it's kind of Monaco and it's difficult to get around there anyways anyways uh, before we wrap it up let's just quickly refresh our memories on the uh, the different uh, the standings and the constructors and the drivers championship uh, constructors is uh, Mercedes at the top with 206 points Ferrari in second with 189 points Red Bull in third with 134 points <clears throat> Renault in fourth with 56 points, McLaren with uh, 40 points to round out the top five. Now, just looking at the Drivers' Championship, it is Sebastian Vettel who is on top of the Drivers' Championship by a single point over Lewis Hamilton with 121. Uh, Lewis, of course, is miles ahead of his uh, teammate Valtteri Bottas. Lewis with 120 points currently, Bottas with 86, Danny Ricardo with 84, Kimi Raikkonen with 68, and Max Verstappen, the number six top driver in the world championship at the moment and he has 50 points well i'm looking forward to watching this one and i'm going to sign it off there guys (laughs) i talked for a lot longer than i thought i would this week and uh, what with kevin off covering the world cup on soccer today here on spn Uh, he's pretty much wrapped up in that uh, all day and all night so i'm going to be flying solo here at least for the next couple of weeks until the world cup uh, finishes so not having the the opportunity to take too much of a break in between here to uh to get a drink to take a breath (laughs) i'm starting to run out of steam and my mouth is getting a little bit dry so like i say good place to stop here and uh and just await the next round free so that's it thank you all for downloading and listening this show please do us a big favor and lie and leave us a five-star review on itunes google play stitcher wherever you download and listen to this podcast we would greatly appreciate it because it helps us grow the show and make it more visible and uh, we would uh, really appreciate it if you could uh, do us that small little favor Anyways, if you want to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at ScuderiaF1Pod on Twitter or email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. That's it. That's a wrap. Enjoy the French Grand Prix this weekend, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, SportsPodcastingNetwork.com. space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?